0: Hello and welcome to the IMD Management Cast. I'm your host, John Joe Devlin, and in this series, I'll be speaking with the brightest minds of the business world about the attitudes, ideas, and strategies that underpin successful companies. For this second episode, I'm joined again by Sean Meehan, the Martin Hilty Professor of Management and Marketing and Dean of Faculty at IMD. Welcome, Sean.
1: Great to be back, John-Joe, thanks a lot.
0: Following on from episode one, where we spoke about customer centricity, the what, the who, the history behind what it might or might not be, now we're gonna move on to a bit more of a practical episode. In episode two, we're talking about how to develop a customer centric approach. Sean, how does one develop a culture of customer centricity internally?
1: It's a terrific question. It's the million dollar question, isn't it? If we can't answer this, there's no real point. I think first and foremost, leadership have to be convinced that the business exists to create customer value. And they have to be consequential in their commitment to that. They have to be very, very clear with all stakeholders that this is why they exist, and this is how they're going to manage the business. And in doing so, they come with this understanding that what they will do will be good for all stakeholders in time. And it will be good for society. You know, they'll go about doing business in a, in a good way. In other words, they will satisfy the various stakeholders by prioritizing customers. If they don't believe in that basic approach, there's no point. There's no point in them looking over their shoulders at the likes of Amazon and Tesco in its great days, Handels Sky TV these companies that have used customer-centricity, if you like, or or are customer-centric organizations, Toyota would be another one, why look over your shoulder at them and try to copy their, their practices? If you don't understand why they behave the way they behave, It's not the two or three things that they're doing, it's the belief system that fuels the thousands of things that they're doing every day, the thousands of decisions that they're making all over the world every day. There's no point in going any further without that belief. It's actually destructive. So let's just assume that for companies for whom they have swallowed that pill, they get it. What do they do next? The critical task for leadership is to demonstrate their belief, demonstrate that this is not just a belief, that there's evidence to believe and they need to, to show that like in many organizations, you share the beliefs of the organization by telling stories and making incidents that can be observed and spoken about later. They must make decisions. The leadership must make decisions that demonstrate that the customer is being put first.
0: Can you give us an example of where this has been done well?
1: So Tesco, for example. And Tesco, they went through this epiphany with Terry Leahy when he became the chief marketing officer, their first chief marketing officer. They did a huge piece of market research. And they had a lot of insights from that research. And they believed that that research was groundbreaking in the industry at the time, that others hadn't bothered to do this sort of thing. And what they decided to do was remove pain points. Now, this is something where you could research. You could say, you know, what's wrong with the customer journey? When you go shopping, what do you not like? One of the interesting things is you shouldn't ask customers, what do you like about Tesco? That's an easy question to ask. The braver question to ask is, what do you not like about grocery shopping? Not at Tesco, anywhere, grocery shopping. So at the category level, what are your dislikes? And that will reveal your pain points. And they went about removing the the pain points as best they could. They invested 60 million pounds, British pounds, into an initiative called One in Front. At the time, their total profits were 600 million. 10% of total profits they put into an initiative called One in Front. One in Front was when you are leaving the store with your basket, you wheel up to the checkout area, And, you know, frequently people found themselves in a long line, and it took a long time to check out. And they said, you should not experience more than one person in the line in front of you. If there's one person, it's okay. If there's two people, that's not okay. And if there's two people, we will open an extra line to make sure that, that we can manage the flow a lot better. That was called one in front. Now, think about that. The cost's really clear, 60 million, 10% of your net profit. And the benefits, how do you figure out the benefits of that? Yeah, it's a better shopping experience. This is clear. It's one less pain point, one less reason to avoid the store. But you're not going to sell any more to that person that day, that's for sure. They're on their way out of the store. You know, you might think of of marketing tricks that kind of help you buy more in the store. This was about genuinely their interest. Customers, when they go shopping, I tell you, you know, we we talk a lot about shopper marketing. One thing we know for sure, the first thing that customers want to do when they enter a grocery store is leave. You want to swizz around the store, put the stuff in the basket and get out. So anything that gets in the way of that is an impediment that is being put there by the brand owner, the Tesco, for example. Now they're making it easier, they're trying to help you get through the store fast, and that is outside-in thinking. You're doing something that is in their interests.
0: And given the upfront costs of this approach, how can companies go about justifying it?
1: So there's a really important point here. You're doing it in the belief that in the long term, if it's good for customers, it will be good for you. You're not doing it in the belief that in the long term, it's good for you. You're simply doing it in the belief that it's good for customers now. You're going to spend company money now, which is absolutely certain. You know how much you're going to spend. And you have no real idea what the return is going to be. There's no experiment that you could have constructed at that time that would have told you what the return on that decision was going to be. And I'm not sure you could have done it in retrospect. It's not clear. It doesn't matter. It's the right thing to do. Everyone's heard the adage, do right by the customer, and that's what that was. Now, that was a small thing, in fact, but we call these moments of belief. These are decisions that are made in the interests of the customer because it's the right thing to do where the costs are absolutely clear today, but the benefits are not totally clear and not definable and certainly not justifiable to the CFO today and might not be for quite some time. Now, when you see your business grow, In conjunction with several of these types of decisions being made, which are putting the customer first, then you begin to have some belief in this is a smart strategy. This makes
0: total sense. You've already referenced moments of belief. It sounds as if with Tesco, one moment of belief led to another and that perhaps led to another again. Is that an integral part of building that customer centric kind of attitude within the business?
1: Totally. I think you hit the nail on the head there. I do think you need a big moment of belief to begin with to get people's attention. You need to have a flow of moments of belief that these are the most natural things in the world. You need a continuous flow. And I'll give you an example from not so terribly long ago. When, when the Amazon marketplace platform idea was coming up, that's the idea that you can sell other products on the Amazon platform that Amazon doesn't own, so other retailers offers essentially. Just think about that, in a physical store, you're paying for the real estate yourself, you generate all this demand, people walk through your door, you've got your customer experience all engineered and worked out, and then you let somebody else into the store to pinch the business. You see that you know this person is interested in a short-sleeved shirt today, and along comes the lad from across the street to sell a different short-sleeved shirt. You're not gonna let him into your shop. Well, this is the online equivalent of letting that guy across the street come into your shop. So the Amazon thinking was, This gives more choice. This empowers the customer to make the choice that they feel is the best. We think we've given them the absolute best option. Now, let's market test that. At the moment of sale, let's put in front of them other options. They don't have to buy it at Amazon. They can click, and off they go to another store to buy there. Let's allow those other retailers the space at that moment on our store. So the Amazon marketplace was going to be populated by these Competing offers think about this. You've just opened your competitor to the customer that you've worked so hard to earn Now in the short run it makes no sense in the short run financially Keep them out of the store. Let me close the deal in the long term. It makes tons of sense You know it is offering more options. It's keeping you very competitive You better be able to compete with that offer when it comes along so in the longer term This is really very, very good for Amazon's business. And it actually is tremendously good for the customer in the short term. So that was a moment of belief that they had to discuss. This wasn't something that just fell on the plate for them. So I think we've got a a
0: handle on some moments of belief we can point to that really show this authentic customer-centric approach. For my final question, what I'm interested to know is, are you able to fake customer-centricity? I mean, do you think that this is an approach that can be successful, or do you really have to have these core beliefs?
1: I think you really do have to have those. I don't think you can fake it, and I think there are lots of people faking it there. And And I don't think these are cynical, horrible people who are, are trying to cheat. I just don't think they understand. And one example I was, I was asked to discuss with a CEO of a major global company, a project that he was working on. I was very excited. It's about customer centricity, I was told. I showed up. And he started talking about I said, two thousand and fifteen, Sean, two thousand and fifteen is gonna be the year of the customer. I knew I mean it was over at that point. I said, if this guy genuinely believes what he's saying here, we're in trouble. It's not about a moment or a year or the day of this or the day or a year of that. It's like the saying about pets, you know, a dog puppy isn't for Christmas. I mean it cannot be a fad. And I think those who rally to it as a fad will make a mistake and, and you know we, we saw concrete example again a popularity of a customer centric move would be something I actually rather like called net promoter score this is a very popular customer metric and used well and intelligently it's very very powerful I recommend it for a lot of companies Wells Fargo used customer metrics in in all the wrong ways. Not in a promoter score, but this is the same idea. You know, some consultants came along and said, do you realize that in banking, if you have, I think the number is seven, if, if a customer has seven products, they're incredibly profitable. Now, there's many ways to process that observation. The wrong way to process that observation is to incentivize your sales force to go out and get people to buy seven products. That isn't the right way. There needs to be a reason for them to want seven products and so on. So at Wells Fargo, what happened rather infamously is that the sales force were incentivized to sign people up for products they didn't need, even signing them up for products that they didn't know they were being signed up for. And this became a grand scandal. The chairman lost his job. The head of that division lost the job. All the senior management had to be one way or the other not continue, and many are banned from the financial services industry for life. Incentives can be used the wrong way. So you certainly cannot fake it, and the tells, like playing poker, there's always a tell, and the tell you're looking for in an organization is language that they use to refer to the customer. All you have to do is read transcripts of mis-selling scandals in financial services, to realize just the contempt with which customers are treated by some people in some organizations. So what you're looking for inside an organization is how do people talk about customers amongst themselves and often it just is not very encouraging. So I'm convinced that many are faking it. Many are misusing market research. Many are misusing metrics. there are, yeah, I I think the data we've got, which is less than a quarter of companies that are genuinely customer-centric, is about right.
0: Sean, I appreciate your insights today. I feel like I've got a much better perspective, not only on how to develop a customer-centric approach, but also the quite serious dangers of trying to fake it a bit too much. But in next week's episode, we'll be speaking about how to keep it. To get that, remember to subscribe to this podcast and to hear more expert analysis from iBuy IMD. You can search for us wherever good podcasts are found. For more to read, you can go to I IMD online, which offers exclusive business intelligence and interviews with the brightest minds in the industry. Written by experts for experts.